Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Hall of Famer Steve Carlton. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, we welcome a four-time Cy Young Award winner, a Hall of Famer, and a man that simply was known in the baseball world as Lefty. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Carlton. Steve, thanks for coming on the program. How do you remember that far back? Really? <laughs> I was it's around when they invented the wheel. Remember that? <laughs> That's right. I hear you. Recent, recently, I had Ron. Well. Recent, recently, I had Ron Jaworski on the uh, on the show. Now, you you. Uh, you guys used to share the vet with the Eagles, Ron Jaworski, your time in Philly. He was the quarterback and he was sharing some stories to me. And, and I remember, cause I was a little kid running around the name Roman Gabriel was a quarterback for the Eagles in the early seventies. Yeah. yeah. Who introduced you. And I remember this fondly as a young kid coming to the ballpark in the off season, watching you, you rec- I think you ended up recruiting my dad, the name Gus Heffling. Tell me how yep. that all started. I think it was in the early 70s, and, and it was martial arts training. And, and this was well before, you know, the, the current game in 2021 where the athletes today, it's, it's a prerequisite. It's not something unusual to train. But you were kind of doing it before everybody was doing it. Well, that, uh, that's interesting because I happened to be there in the wintertime. If, I don't, now I can't remember why I was in Philadelphia. But uh, I went to the vet and um, – Lazinski and Bo, I think, were training with Gus at that time, and uh, and I actually really carpentered to his to his greatness. You know, really was a, he wanted to know what was going on, so he trained with Gus through the winter time. And I I went in there and uh, uh, first ran into Gus, and I, at that time I was a black belt in Shotokan karate, so. I was thinking, who who is this? Who is this whole guy? You know, <laughs> you know how that goes. And I, you know, went and got my gear on and trained with him. I said, holy shit, this is this is a lot, you know. So he was he was an amazing trainer. He was he was very more than proficient at the at the martial arts. But but what what got Gus to Philadelphia was Roman Gabriel. When Roman came over from the Rams, he brought Gus because he was um, Gus was Roman's personal trainer at that time with the Rams. So he brought him with him. So that's how Gus got to Philadelphia. And then um, we trained and everybody liked what Gus had to do. So uh, really, really, actually really hired him away from the, from the Eagles. So really liked what he was doing. He thought, really thought that'd be good for me because he thought he could tame me a little bit, you know, cause I didn't like running and I didn't, uh, I didn't I always walked against the, um, the running part of training. I hated running. So that's how Gus and I got together. Yeah. That's a long story, but yeah. And he's guess, still still down in Florida and doing well. I wonder this. Today it's kind of normal, you know, and they talk about that that bucket of rice where you stick your hand in. Yeah. I remember you doing that. Were you was that something that Gus brought to you, or was that something you you had come up with? Because it's kind of common now. Everybody knows, you know, you stick your hand in the rice bucket and you fight to the bottom of the rice bucket. No, that's, it's not that's not that's not common. You think that's coming? I'm, no one. Well, bench, bench, bench came over, and he had those big, big, strong hands. He couldn't get get past his wrist. You know, it's not that easy. 
<laughs> right, but who who but yes, who brought that into yes, the clubhouse? No, that was a Gus deal. Gus oh, that said, was Gus. You know, yeah. And, well, you know, being Chinese martial arts, said that was in the system. I said uh, they didn't have York barbells back. You know that kind of stuff. So they trained in in mud or anything you get resistance from. So rice. Rice trenches, rice buckets. We had a we had a thirty two gallon rice trash can we trained in, and then we had a about a fifteen foot long rice trench we trained our legs in. Amazing, uh, amazing resistance. What comes out of that is uh, because you tra- you you train rotary instead of straight line like you do with barbells or, or machines, and it's just a, it's a different different level of training because there's a lot of rotary in it, so it takes a lot of the tissue that's not in line with the motion, you know, you know, your tendons and ligaments and stuff. So, yeah, great, great way to train. Well, and, and when I say uh, common, yeah, I don't mean it's common mainstream in today's society. <laughs> you don't see kids at the gym sticking their, their hands in rice buckets. But from, from my upbringing, from growing up in the game, seeing the kind of the old school training yeah. ways you know I, I go back to it seems like it's something on on uh i don't know if you've ever seen this this video it's fascinating to me is back in schwarzenegger's day it was called pumping iron it was a documentary yeah. and it yeah. was that old school gym you know your bet your your bag full of clothes on a rope you didn't have any locker it was that kind of that rocky balboa yeah. I, I would i would think <laughs> in rocky's in 1976 in in rocky's gym there'd be a big old ice uh ice bucket that you were that you were talking yeah. about yeah that's that's true because that's what we you know, that's what we had to train with but there wasn't a lot of uh like it is today you know because the trainer never wanted us to lift weights uh, they thought we were going to get muscle bound especially for pitchers and so when when i was with the cardinals before i came to the phillies i would sneak off and join the gym and lift during the winter time and every time i got stronger because i was a skinny kid you know coming up and every time i come back spring training, I was throwing like a foot or two harder, you know? So I said, uh, cause I needed, I, I knew I needed the strength, but the Cardinals were dead set against that. So uh, they didn't let me train with weight. So in the wintertime I'd go off and train and, and get stronger and, and get better and just get, you know, just fat, better, better fastball, get more speed on your fastball. So now the, the training they have in the, in the, in the clubhouses, they got every, every weight imaginable, you know, they got, they got this stuff you run on the track underwater and stuff like that, you know. So it's crazy, crazy stuff they have. So I would, I would have never left the clubhouse by this kind of training. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome today. Uh, yeah, you guys, and, and, yeah, you guys were around. You, were, you guys were kids back then, but you guys were around watching all this goofy stuff. I'm sure. I was, you know? I was, and the funny thing, you know, Gus Heffling almost became my well i don't know what you'd call it step grandfather he dated my mom's mom my grandma betty <laughs> next thing i know you guys are doing kung fu with gus in the winter and and gus is taking grandma betty on dates so that's how really? close I, and I, yeah and i got close really? to gus and it was cool but he's he's my first member because i got during my career i got big time into training and working out but I always remember that my first memories of training were, were you, Gus, and my dad doing kung fu kicks, you know, and I was probably three or four, yeah, four or five years old. Oh, yeah. But uh, interesting. Yeah, I, remember, I remember those days. Yeah. I'm going to have to get on Gus about dating, dating granny, though. <laughs> yeah, That's you dated story. grandma. I did not All right, Steve that. Carlton, you're born and raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, tell me about Steve Carlton as a kid. 
Let me, I'll just, uh, we're in North Miami. Uh, back then, there was there was not what the condos and the, all the resorts and everything. And I'm sort of on the edge of the Everglades and spent a lot of time, just kids, you know, we're always throwing rocks and shooting 22s. And we have, you know, slingshots and stuff like that. It's crazy, just crazy stuff because that's, that was our entertainment. Yeah, you know, we take the the top, uh, you remember the, Mac, the Maxwell coffee gallon, one of the big cans, we take the top off that and use it for a Frisbee, you know. We have to bend the edges down so you'll cut your fingers. So that was our entertainment. We'd be in the Everglades doing our thing, you know, and I had a, I had a, I had a spider uh, collection as a kid. <laughs> we, we, you know, it's rural. We had nothing to do, so you have to get, you have to get creative, so... Those, those types of things, spend a lot, a lot of time climbing trees and doing stuff like that and developing your body, getting strong, you know, shoulder strong. So it, it, it helped a lot. That's why I was always an, an advocate for, you know, for lifting and, and any kind of resistance. Because I did that as a kid. I did gymnastics in, in high school and, uh, you know, I played uh, two sports. And I, I almost got a, a – I, I was I used to go down to the football field and warm up throwing the football. I could throw the you know, football back then about 70 – 70 yards or so, and I, I got a one of the one of the scouts came over and said, "I'll give I'll give you a a, a full ride to play to play quarterback for Florida State." And I you know talked to my parents and said, "No, I don't think because I'm so skinny they don't want they don't want me to play football, so I might like, get busted, you know." So, but anyway, it was interesting. Cause I, had, I, had, I always had a good arm because I'm always throwing all the time. Today they don't throw a lot, but uh, you know back then we, that's all we had to do is create stuff, throw throw rocks, throw. Those softballs, those footballs, and whatever, those tin cans. Yeah, but it's, we were rural, you know. It's, you know, there's not. It was. We're just, whatever you can imagine, you know, on the edge of the Everglades. You know, we're just kind of rural people, you know. So, so we grew up crocodile Dundee stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Lefty, so lefty yet- Dundee. <laughs> you end up going to uh, Miami Dade North. And yeah. uh, what were what was your what was your thoughts when you when you went to your first year uh, at Miami Dade? What, what were your expectations? Where were you heading in life? Did you always want to be a pitcher? The reason I went to you know graduating from high school. Yeah, here I'll tell you a quick story. My I didn't know there was a big leagues major league until my senior year in high school, when my my head coach or the coach for the baseball team. Coach Clark said, you know, you can make a living doing this. I said, what's that? <laughs> I swear to God, that's a true story. I did not know there was a big leagues. That's how rural things were, you know. And I had, I had a paper out. you think I'd read about that in the paper, but there was horse racing and college football is all I ever saw. So, but uh, but when, I, when, I, when I graduated, I, I said, I didn't know what I, what I was going to do. So, I just, so I'll just take the next step. And because uh, Miami Dade North had a good uh, basketball, excuse me, baseball team. At that time, and I was going to go play for them, Debbie Maneri and those guys. And, uh, and uh, I'm doing of all of all things, I'm doing business administration. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you know my my uh, what what you know what are one of my coaches, um, amateur coaches, came to me and said, I want you to throw for the scouts coming down, his regional scout, Chase Riddle, coming down from for the Cardinals. I want you to throw for him on the side, you know. And I just, okay, because I don't know what I was getting into. I said, he's going to see how good I am, so all I want to do is throw, throw as hard as I could. I don't care what the backstop. 
And I, I threw for Chase, and uh, he was impressed. And I only had the, t- the two pitches, fastball, curveball. And uh, he went back you know, to the main office and, and told uh, the big league team they ought to, they ought to you know, watch me. So the, the Cardinals flew me up to St. Louis, and I threw on the side for uh, Johnny Keene, who was the manager, and whoever else was watching. I remember Gibby had being out, because they'd always come out and watch the kids throw, you know, the talent. And, um, and I threw for the big league team, you know. And that's how I got started. I went back. It was only one semester that I went back. I'm doing business administration, wondering what the hell am I doing here? And I said, well, give me that contract. Because I was still undecided if I was going to, you know, try to, because I was just a kid. I didn't know anything about anything pretty much. And I, um, and I signed a contract and became ineligible to play for the Miami uh, Dade North baseball team. And they, I think they won the national that year. They were a very good team. And anyway, I was ineligible. So that's, that was one semester junior college. Yay. <laughs> That was it. So yeah, that you was, that was in, uh, yeah, that was in, uh, in the, I think it was around November of uh, 63, it was. So, so 60, I, I signed for a 64 contract and uh, for obviously minor leagues. And uh, they, I think they were in Homestead, Florida, that first spring training. Crazy, about 250 kids in a, in a big gymnasium kind of room, you know. Didn't know what you're going to do. So how is that going? It. How is that going from, like you said, grew up in a real rural, rural area in, in uh, Miami, Florida. You're in your senior year of high school, and you say you don't even know what the big leagues is. Next thing you know, you're off to Miami Dade for a semester. You sign with the Cardinals, and you get thrown into the minor leagues. How was that adjustment for a kid that? Just basically said, "Yeah, I'm just here, and I know I can throw." Uh, how was that? Because I look at your, I looked at doing my homework for this. <laughs> I looked at your minor, I looked at your minor league stats, and you tore it up in the minor leagues. Like it, it's kind of a Bo Jackson thing. It's no, I pitch. Where do I pitch? You you go here. It's sixty feet six inches, and strike this guy out. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, four teams the first year in '64. You know, I started in A, Double A, no A, higher A, and then Double A than the big league. So. And I was just, you know, I was kind of not scared to death, but, you know, wondering, because every time you move up in the minor leagues, they have more veterans on, they're allowed more veterans on each team. And they were just so much better because you come from A, you know, you got a bunch of goofballs playing playing pro ball or you know, a cow pasture almost, you know, not like today's minor leagues. And you just keep moving up and say, wondering, how in the hell do you get these guys out? They're so much better. You know, it's just going to, Constantly figuring out how you're going to do it, and knowing you, you know, kind of knowing you can do it. But I mean, they're so much better than where I just came from. It just it was amazing how you you just go up one notch, and they're they're just better. You know, more veterans played longer; they're better ball players at that level. So, and you just kind of figure it out, you know. And I I and I I changed my windup. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I changed my windup in in minor league. Because I didn't like my wind because I felt like I was underwater in a matter of speaking, you know, or throwing out of a paper bag. I said, there's something, there's something I can't get out of there. So I had to figure it out myself and change my wind up. And uh, as soon as I changed my wind up, I was able to unleash, you know, as it were, my, my skill set and what I had in my arm. It was, it was light, lights out. I said, oh, this is fun. 
So I could really throw hard as I wanted to without any laboring to throw hard, if you understand that, is it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the kids today, they're, the mechanics are not good. And I, I, in pro bowl, I actually changed my wind up to get better, to get, let myself throw at the highest level. Like my, my skill set would allow me to throw. So that's how I got started, you know. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it's easy gas. It, it's, it's, if I can equate it to the hitting side of the, of the ledger, I remember during my career, and, you know, as a hitter, you go in and out. I mean, you get on a hot streak, but now I'm struggling a little bit. And it seemed like those times where I was struggling, I'd go into that cage, and we'd hit for 20 minutes, and I'd come out of there sweating head to toe. Like, that was laboring (laughs) hard work. But it seems like when I was locked in, I was in the zone. I could hit for hours and just come out of that cage with not a drop of sweat on me uh, and just whistling. Like, this is so simple and so effortless. So I think when you talk about, you know, changing your windup, there there wasn't any effort there, but – but when you let go of the ball, it was easy gas. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and it's all about finding that niche in your, whether it's a pitcher or whether it's a hitter, finding that, that, that comfort zone where, yeah, that yeah. bat speed is just as fast, but I don't even feel like I'm, I'm putting any effort into it. Yeah. Accelerating the, the bat head without, you know, instead of holding on, he's just letting it go. It's like that lag feeling, you know? So, and the same thing with pitching, it's on the other side of it though. You get this lag that, wasn't there before because you're, you're, you're endeavoring to throw hard instead of throwing hard easy. So I try to teach kids how to, when I, when I do teach, I teach kids to throw hard easy by changing their mechanics. So it puts them in that position. And just like hitting, we might be a little too tense or you might be on a sink with your, your hip rotation or whatever, however hitters see that. It's, a, it's the same thing because we're all built the same way. You know, you're looking for lag to increase your acceleration, bad head speed or baseball throwing speed. You know, it's about the same thing. I think I, I think that's awesome. I mean, because I think where you're coming from, from from an educational standpoint, from a teaching standpoint, you said when you will give somebody advice or, or teach them, I don't think we hear that that often. But it, it but it really is brilliant. It's a, it's simplifying it as much as you can. But nobody ever thinks about it. You know, I, I, I watch kids train in different places these days and it's we're doing this and, and we're, we're always talking about data points. We're talking about exit velocity. We're talking about angles when really we should yeah. talk be talking about effortless speed. Yeah, the synchronicity with the rotation, just like just like throwing, you know, when you get when your front side t- stays closed and, you, and when you go to unleash, everything comes comes out together so all the energy is stored to do this and same thing with pitching same with hitting you know if you're if your front side leaves and you got to make it up with your arms and hands you've taken the power out of the rotation and that's the same thing with throwing skills that's but you can see when people are on the sink you know that's you know that's what you know they call stepping in the bucket that way back when that's because your front side's gone you're so you've stepped in the bucket so now you you can't accelerate the bat hit speed the way where you want it just like Pitching when, when people step over or step out, you know, if they're not in line, that kind of basic stuff. So, but that, that happens, but I, but I knew there's something wrong with me. So I had, I had to find a way to correct it. So it makes me understand kids, you know, these uh, high school kids, even, you know, I, I teach kids eight, nine, 10 and, uh, you know, they're, they're really, you know, they're 
they're just a piece of clay. You know, they don't know what they're doing. They, but I teach more how to throw before I teach how to pitch. So you got to learn how to throw before you can pitch. I think so. So you can, you know, so you can you can throw with with the, the least amount of effort, so you can save your arm. Because even the big leagues, they're throwing hard. But if you if you watch their mechanics, they're way behind in their mechanics. So where the holding the ball, they have to hurry up and accelerate back before they can come forward. Instead of being back and then going forward, they got so they now this you know with Tommy John surgeries are you know like two thousand surgeries or but but you can say that they're you can see that they're behind they're gonna they're gonna throw hard but they may not throw long you know so to have a long period you got to smooth things out you know I would say that's that's awesome I could talk about this all day but I don't have enough time because I don't think it's talked about <laughs> enough I really don't I don't think it's talked about these are the nuances of the game it's somebody that really yeah. understands their body and how you do it correctly I mean you could spend thousands and tens of thousands of dollars on these private lessons and yeah. if you can really it, what you're saying about pitching and, and we can translate that to the hitting side that right yep. there that knowledge it will supersede any lesson you can get from all these all these wonderful hitting and pitching gurus that we have in, in today's yeah. game. Yeah, I understand. Everybody's trying, but I, I tell these kids, I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna change you around. So I I, I want to see your personal math. I'm gonna introduce you to yourself at the best you can be for what you have to offer as far as in my case as far as throwing. So I'm gonna teach these kids to throw. So I change them around, and, and then the coaches, when they see that, they just can't believe the difference when these way these kids throw like holy tamale, you know, like a, they're not a little bit, but a lot, you know, that's because I'm putting I'm putting them in sequence. I'm, I'm creating the lag, how to how to unfold, you know, the you know the front leg, the toe, the front knee, the hips, then the shoulders come around, and the arms behind that, and just and you teach them. And I said. I want to see what you got. I want to, I want to introduce you to yourself. I tell the kids, so I, I put them in a position so they can take a look at their arm. And they're a lot of times quite amazed that they can actually throw that hard, but it's, it's just sequencing just like in golf or, you know, any, anything, because we're all built the same way. If you're going to hit, you got to sequence, you know, you step of the bucket, you lost your power, front side's gone, you know, you have to make it up with your hands and arms. So, you know, and that's the same thing in throwing. Introduce you okay. to yourself. <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, all right. So, is, yeah. so you're in the minor leagues. You get to the big leagues really quick. You get to the big leagues when you're 20 years old. 65, you make your debut. But you don't become a part of that rotation in St. Louis till 67. You go 14 and 9, your first full season in that starting rotation. End up, end up being a great year for you guys. End up winning the World Series. But Cepeda, uh, Bob Gibson, Roger Maris, Brock Flood, that is Steve Carlton in your rookie campaign. Those are your teammates. Uh, talk a little bit about those guys. Well, we knew we had we had talent. You know, when, uh, when Maris came over from the Yankees, um, Shannon had to come out of right field and learn to play third base. And he's never did. I mean, if outfield coming to third base because everything is right on top of you so quick. So in spring training, you know, they'd hit him ground balls all day long. And Shannon's a football type of mentality. He'd sit there, just take it off the chest, feel whatever. He'd be, he'd be black and blue, you know. And he he learned to play 
third base because he had to, to give Maris that position in right field, you know, to strengthen that team. But we knew we were good. The, the Cardinals are uh, the, like one of the best teams as far as a team. They've moved in like synchronicity and they knew exactly. They brought Brock and walk and flooded, uh, hit, a, hit a ball behind them, you know, and to get them to at least a second, if not the third. And, and then we're all be sitting in that position first and third or man on second, man on third. And, uh, just perfect bad control. I mean, the, um, the team just was the best. The best team. The, the way they move in synchronicity. They were they were just one, one star, one all star kind of team. The way they played, just amazing to watch them. So, and I'm learning baseball because I don't know anything about baseball this time. I'm just watching these guys play. Just amazed how they, what they could do. You know, hit the cutoff man and hit behind runners. You know, you know, not not a whole lot of home runs in the in the in the Cardinal organization, but. Uh, but they knew how to play baseball, and that's that's what we got out of them, and, we, and it pays off, you know. 101 wins, you guys win the World Series. You start Game Five. They only give you one run support that night. You end up losing the game, but you end up winning, getting your first ring, uh, and and you're off to the races. The, the infamous Steve Carlton career. Um, you get to 1971. First time you win 20 games, you go 20 and nine. Um, you know, well, you're, how you're is missing, that? You're missing, you're missing the slider years. I didn't have a slider back then. You had a curveball. I didn't have a slider, I didn't have a slider till 69. I had fastball curveball only. That's, that's a unique story unto itself. Well, let me hear shall it. I go, shall I go forward with this? Let's do it. Yeah. Because because Timmy and I would McCarver would talk said he ended up he's left you need a ball that kind of moves sideways because I'm you know fastball I had a, I had a twelve to six curveball you know so it stayed in the same slot so you throw so the outside part of the plate and stay there it wouldn't it wouldn't intimidate anybody coming in fastball outside curveball outside so and so all of uh, all of sixty eight I worked on developing this slider pitch and I started off throwing a cutter and trying to figure out, you know, how I'm going to use this. I didn't know exactly what I'm doing here, but I figured it out. And, uh, most of the year I threw it on the side, you know, in front of the dugout, just playing around with the field and the, and the spin. And uh, then I started, I started getting it to go down and, uh, and I throw in the, and when I, when I got to go down, the people Go to catch because they used the ball going, you know, just more of a flat level. Then it went down; it just would be a late breakdown, and the ball going underneath their glove. So the catchers, until they really understood it, would miss the ball because it would go underneath their glove because it was a late breaking pitch. It would go it would go sideways, and the bottom would drop out, which made it unique. And I don't know why that happened, but it did. So in '68, we uh, lost to Detroit, so we ended up touring Japan for five weeks. And uh, we, you know, we had about three weeks to a month. I forget when you went over. We had some time off, at least two weeks. Everybody's not really, you know, we're going to go play Japan. We're going to walk around, shake some hands and stuff like that. But when we went to Japan, they came out smoking. They were after us. They wanted, they wanted us bad, you know. So, you know, I gave up a home run to Sanaharu. Oh, uh, we, we, I think we might have lost the first three games. And we had a clubhouse meeting without the manager said, we said, these guys are coming after us. We better get our butts back in shape. 
So everybody started to bear down, you know, said, it's not just goodwill. It's just, you know, these guys are trying to beat us and we're not used to that. So Salvador Rowe hits a home run off me uh, because I'm just fastball curveball at that time. And, and you couldn't, you know, when you picked that leg up, you couldn't get him, you couldn't get him to back off the plate. So yeah, and the next game of pitch, I said, Jimmy, I'm going to break out this new pitch. You know, I've been working on it, yada, yada. And, uh, so warm up and um and um uh, uh, comes up and I I throw I throw the slider right in his ribs, you know right at him, and and he he just he sort of flew his hand threw his hands up thought he thought he's going to get hit, and the ball comes back over the plate. And I said, now oh, that's a good pitch because he's a he was really a good hitter, and I got him off his game because he he couldn't he couldn't. He, he had to put that foot down somewhere else because the ball has been thrown at him. He thought he was going to get hit. So then I knew we had a, a pretty good pitch. So I take that into the the '69 season, you know, and uh, and I go forward with that. And that's when that's when I started to get uh, uh, you know ten ten strikeout games because uh, prior to that there was I rarely had a ten strikeout game you know all all that time. So. And keep going. You can jump ahead to 71 now if you want. <laughs> I wanted to get that leg. No, no I, lo- I love that. And it also <laughs> brings up another point for me. I, you know, during my time, Sar- Sadahara O was long retired. I never got to see him play live. Give the audience a little bit of a, of a, of a feeling of, okay, Japanese baseball is Japanese baseball. Uh, obviously, especially in today's game, it's inferior to the Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball is the best players in the world. And and a lot of Japanese, the best Japanese players are coming to Major League Baseball. But back at the time when you were on that barnstorming tour in Japan, give give me a feel give me a feeling of how good was Sada, how how did Sadahara O the you know, the most prolific home run, not only in Japanese history, all time. How did he stack up against the best big league guys back then? Uh, he was, he was quality. Um, like I said, he, I, you couldn't get him off the plate, but you know, all the, all, a lot of the hitters today pick up that front foot and do kind of the, the same, the same thing to get, to get a little more energy in their swing. Cause you keep your, your hips shut. When you when you put that down, your hips are still shut. So when you rotate, you're rotating, you're accelerating that lag position on the bat head speed, you know. So it was quality. I mean, he was I don't know, he had 800 whatever home runs or whatever it was. So, but I mean, there was a a, pitch, a left-handed pitcher named, if I recall, his name was Inatsu, and they had they had some quality players, but they weren't deep in talent. You know, they couldn't they couldn't field nine guys that could compete in the, on the major league level. But they had some. They have some guys at third base. Was quality. He was. Uh, you know, I think he was old timer at that time. Like oh, but he was a, a quality uh, baseball player. But they couldn't field nine guys. It took them a lot of years to you know because they you know they were they were very good about developing their because they they learned they you know they learned from coaches here and they took information back and they started training differently and and developed some some good talent. So a lot of a lot of guys are coming out of that. You know, you can see in the in the major leagues, you know, this Otani guy and you know, quite unique. Um oh, they, Otani's the ridiculous. Base, they couldn't field nine guys as the main thing, you know. So. Yeah. Um 
You mentioned Timmy McCarver. Obviously, uh, anybody follows the game, especially back in, in the days you guys were playing. We had Timmy on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, a lot of uh, very uh, flattering things to stay about, say about uh, Steve Carlton. But it, but it's known you guys had a had a had a connection. You know, he was your catcher for a lot of years. Where did that relationship really, really uh, form? And and how did it become such a close relationship? He talked about a little bit. We're going to get into it later about the pickoff move. Timmy said, Booney, I couldn't throw a lick. And Lefty helped me a lot with, with his pickoff move. But talk about uh, <laughs> Timmy and that relationship. Well, that's an interesting story because we didn't start out that way. My first big league spring training you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a left-hander. I'm a little bit outspoken, let's say. I don't really know the protocol as far as seniority and stuff like that. So there's the, uh, Dick Grote, uh, Ken Boyer, and Timmy, you know, shaving after the game. And I come up behind Timmy after pitching. I said, Timmy, you got to throw more, call more breaking balls behind an account. And he just he just went like, you see the veins in his neck popping out. I think he started cutting those old razors we used to do back then, you know. He just, he just started <laughs> – Missing his shaving, his shit chin's bleeding. He, he was so infuriated because I embarrassed him in front. Because he was, he was a sort of a, you know, he's like a two or three or four year catcher at that time. And uh, Boyer and then Grove, those are all the, the veterans, and, and they started laughing. So we didn't start out the way we ended up, but we we figured it out. You know, I was just, I had to say it. I should have pulled him aside to say it, but I didn't because I'm. I, what did I know? You know. And then uh, uh, the thing about Timmy, that Timmy w- was was everybody's catcher. You know, on the whole staff, he was he was the catcher. He worked. He was so good with Gibson and and the other other guys, you know, Dick Hughes, and, and but he was just really good. He he, he was a bridge player. I attribute this to his his skills of playing bridge because he would he remember all the sequence, all the pitches, how he got guys out, and then. We, we would get guys until we got in trouble, we'd get guys down a certain way, you know, and then we got in trouble, we'd go and we'd go to his weakness. So he would never just exploit weakness all the time. He would save that until we needed that, that sort of that trump card as it were. And, but he was that kind of guy, but he worked with, with the, with the whole staff. You know, he was just, he was my catcher the third time he got, we, we got together that's a long, longer story. At the end of his career is when he became my, my catcher on every fourth or fifth day, what it was. So, and that, that's the deal. And uh, but no, he was he was he was a masterful. He he didn't have a good arm, and uh, that precipitates another another story because Cepeda. I, I had a really a really good pickoff move, obviously, and then I don't know if your fans are know that, but I had a really good pickoff move. You call it a balk move, but I never balked, so you know what I mean. Anyway, Cepeda's <laughs> now on first base, and I, I come up to do my pickoff move, and, and Cepeda's got his hands on his knees looking at Timmy. And the man on first base, I said, oh, oh no, we're in trouble here because I'm going to first, and you got to go or else you know it's obviously balked. So I said, I looked at I looked at Cepeda, I said, in my mind, I said, sorry, sorry, Charlie, hit him right in the chest with the ball just so it wouldn't go down the right field line. And he hit it right in the chest. So I picked off my first baseman. That's a pretty good move. <laughs> really good move. But yeah, I I I I developed a good move. You know, spring training. You know, Ed Ed Vargo come around and said, Ed, what what are they going to not let me do this year as far as a, my move? You know, my 
first baseman. So, and he said, well, here's what you can and can't do, yada, yada. And one, and one year they put a, a line, you know, a 45-degree line, you know, you have to step on this side or that side so the umpires on first base could see where I'm stepping. So then that's where they went to try to mess with me, you know, because I, I I picked off a lot of guys, which, you know, which it saved you. You know, you get that next around, you know, that's what you need. Keeps Timmy from trying to pick them off. <laughs> Throw in the second yeah, base. I'd say you had a lot. It, uh, most in the history of the game, 144 pickoffs. And yeah, you got called for a lot of box, but it was, it, it was, I never balked, but the umpire, it, like you said, you hit your first baseman in the chest. You're fooling umpires too. And, yeah. and, you know, uh, interesting. I remember that. I remember watching film of you and because later in, in my day, you know, Andy Pettit had a really good move and was he, yeah, balking? Yeah, very was good, he not, very good yeah, was yeah. he not balking? And I thought that's a modern day Steve Carlton. So well, it, but it lives it, on. It has to look like a balk to be a good move. It's called a balk move. But Without technically, I'm stepping on the first base side of that imaginary 45-degree line. You know, And that's because you used to be able to take your foot behind the, the pitching rubber, and then they stopped. They said, no, you can't do that anymore. And that had a lot to do with, with me making them change the rules because the runners are complaining because I was looking for every little inch of – trickery I could I could get you know so you used to be able to put your your foot behind the, the pitching rubber and they say oh, you can't do this so you have to pick it up and designate where you're going with it so I used to pick it up and hold it like to, you know, some of the pitchers today especially the the Japanese pitchers they'll come up and stop years ago you couldn't stop because of that because I'd come up and hold it and see what the the, the runner's going to do and then if they were going to take off I had the, I had the ability to bounce Instead of going home plate, I'd, I'd pick it up and I'd stop. And if they took off running, I would step to second base and throw it to the second baseman. And then he said, well, you can't do that anymore. So, you know, I went through this with – because I'm I'm trying to trick them because they're trying to get the edge on me. And, you know, so well, you, you, it's a cat and mouse game, you know. Deal. So, uh, but it's, uh, anyway, it worked, it worked out pretty good. And then I so the sort of used to holler at me all the time about balking. So I – I sent a ball over to Lasorda where in the Dodger Stadium. I sent him over and said, "Tell me, I've never balked." And put and I had the the bad boy put it on his desk. He still he still laughed about that for years. <laughs> but I, to me, I never balked because I'm stepping in the same spot. I'm stepping on the on the first base side of that 45 degree line. But it, it's such a fine deal that I got called a lot of balks. But he looked down. I said, well, "That's the same place I looked. Uh, you know, the last pitch I threw there. That's I'm stepping the same." just like stepping at home or stepping in the same footprint. They're not moving around, you know? And so it's, to me, it wasn't a ball because it's, it's, I've done that two or three times before they call a ball come in. So look at my footprints right there in the same spot. So, did you, you know, ever you know, take, yeah. did you ever take into consideration because, because the move was so good, uh, it was so deceptive, but at the same time, did you ever think in a close ball game late, let's say runner on first and third, did you ever think, you know, in a tight game, I can't risk the great pickoff move now in case they call the Bach and that's a run? Did that ever creep into your mind? You know, I, 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 I can't recall that. Uh, but, uh, but I'm still looking for the, an out wherever I can get it, you know. So, but I would, 
I would throw to first base. I would use a block move, you know, like it's three and zero. You're supposed to get, try to try to get a strike and three and zero, you know. And I would, I would throw to first base on three and zero, and get a lot of guys snapping because you're not supposed to throw in these uh, count situations. You're supposed to get a strike. But anything where I know they're not thinking that I'm going to do this, that's I'm thinking I'm going to do it. So that's right. I can't speak to the first and third part of that, but I, I don't think I was ever afraid to throw over there. You know, and I might have, I might have been, I might have given up a run that way, but I can't remember. I can't recall that. So, well, and also the umpire's got to have the, you know, let's be honest, got to have the balls in that situation to call a balk first and third. You mean so the, it's kind of temerity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting you say though. Three zero. I'm not supposed to throw over. I'm supposed to be worried about throwing a strike to the hitter. I talked to Jeff yeah. Bagwell, you know, during our career, and I say, Bag, how, how are you stealing twenty five bases? You're not a base stealer. And he and he said exactly what you said. He said, Booney, I run when they think I'm not going to run. Three zero. Yeah. Three zero. Yeah. That pitcher's so worried about throwing a strike that he's not worried yeah. about me. He goes, That's <laughs> when I take off. And you're well, unless Steve Carlton's pitching, because now you got to know what he's thinking. That's the cat and mouse game. Yeah. Well, that's. Well, I mean, to be to be good at it, you have to think of why. When are they going to uh, put their guard down? Let's say, see, yeah. you know, Joe Morgan and Brock were always messing with me. Joe Morgan get that that lead out to the where the uh, where that cutout goes. He'd be standing on the on the outside of the cutout on the one way lead, and right. and if he he caught it he caught an inkling I'm going home because now he's got he's got three strides closer to second base, and then Brock could do that walking run thing. But you'd have to guess when he's going to do it. And that's, you know, and to get these guys. So they're always trying to trick me. So I got to, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game. So, it's a game inside the game. It's it's the get, best part of the game. They got, they got me a few times. I got them a few times. So that was the fun of it. You know, figuring it yeah. out. You know, like anything else. 71, you have another great season. You go 20 and 9. And you're playing for an owner. Augie Bush, and you've had a couple. You've had a couple contracts disputes with him after the '69 season. Uh, he didn't like yeah. your demands, and uh, how do you know? How that, do you know that? Yeah, you know that happened in '69. Yeah, <laughs> after that, I remember. So I think Augie Bush was even quoted as that's part of the reason he made the trade. So after '71, you have another. I believe it was after '70 or '71. You have another contract dispute with him. I don't think you went to spring training. You held out in '70. Well, let me. But let you me get, t- actually, all right. Actually, I like when you fans, tell the story better. Anyway, then we get it right. Well, I just want to fill in some of the how it, how we got there. You know, so he you know he had the German beer bird beer bear and he's pounding on the desk sign this this contract you know in a little tougher words but and I said no Mr. Bush I can't in good faith I can't sign it because you know I want well you know want more money back back in a couple thousand dollars was more money and then in 71 Oh, no. Well, the 70, I didn't, I didn't have a good season because of 69. I didn't have a spring training twice. I didn't have spring training. And, uh, and that, that hurt a lot because you're way behind, you know, it's hard to catch up with no spring training. So in 71, I won 20 games for the first time. And, and, the, and prior to that, the Cardinals always said, uh, you know, like Bing Devine and Jim Toomey, said, well, we can't pay you the money you want because you never won 20. That was all their, 
always on their argument because they always find the weakness where you, well, you haven't done this. It wasn't as good as yours last year. So I finally won uh, 20, 20 games in, in 71. Uh, you know, that's kind of when we got started, you know, said, you know, I really, you know, I won 20 games like you told me, and now I want some uh, some money. You know, because you know, you know, I'd, I'd come from like 48,000 after, you know, six, six and a half years. So I think like 40, I wanted to go to 66, and I don't know why I picked that number, but I might have, you know, just arbitrarily came up with the number. So, and they said, no, you know, that's too much. Well, most we can give you is 60. So we got stuck at those two numbers. So opening day of spring training, I'm mean, like 8.30 in the morning, Bing Divine calls me, wakes me up, because I'm, I'm getting ready to go down to spring training for, uh, in St. Pete for the Cardinals. And being divine calls me up, so lefty, we traded you to the to the Phillies. And I said, oh, you know, I didn't say holy shit, but what? I couldn't believe it because I just won 20 games. You know, I was looking forward to winning because the Cardinals are going to win 90, 95 games about every year. They were that good. So I had my my number set up, what I was going to do, in my future, the way I, I trained my brain to think. I was going to play this forward or quantum entangle this whole thing. I was going to win more games. This coming year, I had the number 25. I'd camped on it for like three months. I was going to win 25 games with the with the Cardinals. So he calls me up and tells me I traded the Phillies. I said, well, retrospectively, like, holy shit, because the, the Phillies were the worst team at the time. And they always tried to bury you by sending you to the Phillies. They did it with, with other players, you know. So I said, Jesus Christ. So I thought about it for maybe a half hour. I called Big Bags. So I'll take I'll take your offices. Lefty, it's too late. We already traded. You're gone. For Rick Wise. And I was like in shock. Holy tamale. But I still had to go to spring training. So, so I fly into Tampa. Instead of going to St. Pete with the Cardinals, I go to Clearwater with the Phillies. And I'm just, I'm in shock for about, about a week. And I'm saying, what the hell is going on here? So I started thinking, so, well, if, if this mind stuff that I've been working on works, it'll work here. You know what I mean? So but the number was 25 in, for in 72. So I started I started digging in, and I got amazingly focused and, like, maybe a pain in the ass kind of a focus, you know what I mean? <laughs> but no, I'll no tell you, you're my order. teammate. You're taking You're taking the hill every fifth day. You can be as big a pain in the ass every, as you want. You win twenty five games. No, every every fourth day. Oh, that's right. That's back in the day. We're we're on we're on the so four man rotation. Lucchese, I, I you know I I, I pitched five hundred. I'm not sure how it started. I pitched about five hundred for the first month, something like that. And uh, and I was pitching well, but uh, you know I'm still about five hundred. But Lucchese started pitching every fourth day because I'm coming from the Cardinals where I pitch behind Gibby. So every fifth and sixth day, cause, uh, cause you have a day off, you know, so you, but every, every day off I had with the Phillies, Lucchese would bump the starter and put me in this position. So I had 41 starts that year. And, and, the, and, the, and that was a strike year. So I could have had maybe eight or nine more starts. Uh, I think I'm not sure of the numbers, but so I, then I think I got on a roll and I said, I won, uh, Pitching, I won 15 in a row on with that on that team, you know, and and uh, like the middle of August, I won my 20th game on the fifth my 15th 
win in a row. So, uh, you know, but it's, I mean, we just, you know, just, you get like amazingly focused, like when you guys get in the zone, when you're hitting, like everything's like just happens. So, but, so, you know, there's something clicked and it just, just started just, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't miss. I never threw a probably ball over. I never threw a ball over the heart of the plate. I could throw it on the corner and a half a ball off the corner, you know, and I had a slider. So I got, you know, getting guys inside, tying them up. And uh, everything just clicked just in, the, in that zone. So it just went crazy. So instead of winning 25 with a last place ball club, I won, I won 27, which is like holy tamole kind of territory. Well, it's, it's, one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest years ever. I mean, it's 27 yeah. and 10 with a 1-9, and your team wins 59 games. I mean, how are the other pitchers on your staff? How could they even how could they even shower with you after the game? Weren't they weren't they ashamed? No, I mean everybody's doing their job. I'm I'm, I'm just I'm just being the best I can be because I'm I'm out there every fourth or fifth day, so I just I'm in charge that day. So I'm the quarterback in a sense. You know, I'm starting pitcher, and I just with you know, with the thinking I had intact, you know, I'm just I'm putting me together. I'm demonstrating to me what. Is capable when you put mind and body together is, is my where I got at that point. You know to put to, to think in a particular way that I was taught to put these things together and then go out and perform accordingly. So I'm just putting mind and body together, just set a body. Because I mean, you know, the Cardinals. I remember a two to one lead in the top of the ninth. Pitch, you know, make one bad pitch against the Pirates and I'm losing <laughs> three to two. And with my thinking corrected. I eliminated the one bad pitch, let's say, in a critical situation where you can the game's on the line. So I eliminated where I where I could have failed. I I blocked that out and and took this sort of focus, let's say, to a to a higher level in my in my mind. So you know what I mean? That kind of stuff in the zone. We're in the zone. You know, in the zone. So you win the yeah. Cy Young, um, and that off season, it's. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. You win the Cy Young, you win 27 games, like I mentioned, 59 games. That's a pretty big story, probably the biggest story in baseball that year. How was that offseason different? Was it because you played in St. Louis with Bob Gibson, uh, so you saw the level of probably celebrity that he was, but all of a sudden yeah. you're a 27-game winner. How was that offseason for you compared to the other offseasons as, as far as just going out? It was insane. I did everything, which is a big mistake. And I didn't train. I just, everybody wanted a piece of you. And so I did every banquet, every appearance, you know, thinking that, you know, I can, you know, yada, yada, I threw 350 innings. I should have been training, but I didn't. And that's, that's my other bugaboo. I, I didn't train. So I came, I came into spring training with walking pneumonia. I was, I was beat. You know, and never, never do that again. But yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the off season was great because I, I was everywhere except in the gym. <laughs> Where you make any sense? You know. And that's when that's when it kind of comes, and and that's what you've been famous for is is not talking to the press. I don't know if it started at at that particular time. You come back in 1973. You go from winning 27 to losing 20. 
And now in, yep. in today's modern game, I look at it, I look at your ERA, you had a one nine seven in the Cy Young Award of seventy two. Cy Young year. Yeah. And in seventy three, it's yeah, you had twenty losses. You're playing on a bad team, but you only had it's not like you had a five Ernie. You had a three nine, which yeah, coming off the year before, like you said, they always want, hey, what have you done for me lately? Well, if you can win twenty seven yeah. games, we want to see you do it again, and all of a sudden yeah. You got a three nine, yeah. which is very respectable, but they're probably treating you like you're the worst pitcher of all time because they <laughs> expect that bar that you set. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you know the deal. You've dealt with them. Yeah. But you know, I, like I said, I didn't have a spring training. I was I was sick the whole spring training. I really didn't get it. I mean, I wasn't in shape to get in shape pitching. I never I never got my strength back. You know, you as soon as I used to go from. In the end of the season, I take like a week or two off. I hit the gym and I get all my strength back. And that 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 winter, I I didn't I didn't do very much, you know. And it it, it showed because I I came I was sick when I came into spring training, so didn't do a lot in spring training. And then that just sets sets a precedent for what what's about what's about to happen, you know. But I mean, if you can pitch, if you lose twenty games, I mean, you, you're pitching every game. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, not too many. Not not too many great pitchers are <laughs> even. A, you're not allowed to lose twenty games. You got to be great to be allowed to. Yes, that's a, that's a good point. But uh, anyway, I don't know how many innings I pitched, but uh, you know, this is what it is. You said uh, you never did ran. I make, you said did, you, I make, did I make two hundred innings that year? Oh, I don't even know. That, that wasn't that wasn't a part that wasn't a part of my research. <laughs> you, you mentioned you, you mentioned on several times you weren't you weren't a stickler for running. Uh, for those out there listening, it's it's pretty pretty common for for starting pitchers, you know, at any level nowadays, yeah. especially at the big league level. You always run in between starts. You always throw bullpens in between th- starts. I don't think you did either of those. Well, I. I did up until well, until Gus comes on the scene for me later on. But I, you know, we used to run and God, I hated running because my my low back, my I always had shin splints. You know, your your ankles, nothing feels good. You know, you're tall and you're not designed to run, let's say. And I I just didn't like running. So I used to tell Ripple Myers, the pitching coach, and I said, Rip, why don't we run in a straight line down that Seven Eleven, get a six pack of beer, and I'll run right back. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Something like that, just to break the monotony. Just running a straight line. Jesus, Murph, back and forth. So I didn't like running, and that's how Gus. That's how Gus came on on the scene about seventy four, seventy five, uh, right in there, because uh, I didn't like running. I said, and I, I'd already had an introduction to martial arts, so Gus and I hit it off right away, and we started training. You know, amazingly hard training. And it just and it eliminated all my problems as far as you know low back and knees and stuff like that that, that bothered me so much running and and uh, and plus you know I'm learning something my strength and flexibility came way up because that's part of the the training within martial arts so and uh, so Gus and I took off I don't know if I'm jumping ahead there but that's that's how that happened you know because I just didn't it's like you know most people don't like to run anyway but they do it because when uh, when Dallas uh, when Dallas came over you know, later in eighty eighty one, he said you can you can either run because and I know I'm getting ahead a little bit but but the the media was going to make Dallas 
challenge me so they'd have something to talk about because I wasn't talking to them and they wanted me and Dallas to go head to head on this. So to, to Dallas, uh, he went, he went to Gus in the, in the, I think the winter of 80 might've been said he knew what he's going to be in for with the media. Cause I didn't talk to him. So he said, Gus, I want you to put me through lefties program. <laughs> I still laugh about that. And he, and Gus, put him through the program and he said now I see what what he's doing so at least we got the spring training he said I mean you know, abbreviating this a little bit but he said you can do lefties program you can run <laughs> so you know that that settled all that BS so people went back to running you know it's just me and Gus down against the wall so I, I got a little bit ahead of myself there but that's how that it gets put together you know training and training is what I didn't do in some of those years. So that catch you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, um, do you remember, was there a time, did you, do you remember that time where you just said, you know what? I'm done with the media, not going to talk to them at all. When was that about? Well, yeah, that was after the bad year. Then I started, they started, well, they started ripping you, you know, they well, I'm done, you know, yada, yada, that kind of stuff. So, and I, I didn't like reading about myself and I said, I don't, I don't like the way they're, you know, give them, I'm giving them 20 minutes, a half hour after the, after the game. I, that was, that was a good interview because I never talked, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm here. I hope I can help the team kind of an interview. I, I had, I had, I had deeper thought, you know, cause I was trained to think differently. So I had, interesting things to say and and then then you read the paper the next day they they didn't quote me on anything i said wait a minute spending 20 minutes of my my time after the game talking to you guys and this is what i get so and i started putting it together so it wasn't it wasn't the next you know wasn't the next year 74 but maybe 74 i started thinking i can't i can't do this anymore so I said, okay, guys, I said, you know, I don't know if I got them together in our group. I said, I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore. I'm tired of this BS, you know, so, and, and uh, what's the name? I forget his name even. Oh, Bill Codlin. He, he, he sort of pushed that because he was, he was making it personal, you know, and just wasn't writing. He was writing personal. You could see the, the venom coming out of his, <laughs> of his pen, you know, or pencil, or crayon, whatever he wrote with. So, and I said, I, I'm not going to do this because you're distracting my focus and attention on the field because I'm starting to think about you guys in the seventh and eighth inning when I went all this BS, you know. So I said, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of interrupting my focus in a way. I'm, I don't want to. I just want to concentrate on baseball because I, you know, I went to the team and the fans and you guys are third in line to me. I told them, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. They didn't believe me. <laughs> but, <laughs> Fast forward 20 but, years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I said, well, you know, then it, it, that's a really long, interesting story. But it's it, the, the thing is they wrote better about me because they had to rely on their journalistic skills because they couldn't get a quote from me to write their article because most articles written by people's quotes, you, you know that, you've played that game before. So, you know, they would come up with like fictitious interviews and they would uh, do crazy things and, and his makeup stuff. And it was really entertaining because some of the stuff would filter back to me. And I, I thought it was 
skillful the way they wrote about the game without getting personal in a manner of speaking. So they have they have journalistic skills, but they really don't use them in the fashion they should. Uh, because you know, way back in the you know 40s, because I had some old newspapers way back and reading about baseball, and, and the and the game was written about baseball from the uh, from the press box. They really didn't come into the clubhouse. They wrote about it as though they were observing this from afar. If you read those old, old newspaper articles, and I said, "Well, hell, that's that's interesting because they don't really need me. You know, they could just write it." And and I kind of made them go back to that writing from the press box kind of a mentality. Um, so there you, were, you, go. you were you were giving them a lesson. <laughs> I like it. And, uh, so- I was. Not it wasn't it wasn't per, it was personal but not because I needed to focus on what they're paying me to do and that's on the field and and everything after that is something if I'm, I'm willing to give up that time you know but it it worked it worked for me because it it got me to settle down and I'd be fo- more focused on what I'm trying to do here you know so and it just just it wasn't it was it was personal in a sense because. Uh, uh, Conlon made it personal, you know, his, 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 his meanness in a way he wrote mean, you're probably aware of that. You knew him a little bit. So there you go. 76, you win 20 games, 77, another your your second Cy Young award. You went, you go 23 and 10. And then I want to skip to uh, 78, 79, great years, but 80, uh, that's what I really remember as a kid running around, probably being a pain in the ass in the clubhouse. But <laughs> man, that that eighties <laughs> Phillies team, and and still to this day, you know, uh, me and my brothers, you know, that was that was a big highlight of our childhood. Running around that yeah. that locker room, and and you go twenty four and nine, you win your your third Cy Young, uh, and that was that obvious you know the big World Series year, and all those great players, and and I remember sitting in sitting in Manny Trio's locker, helping him paint his glove black and listening to <laughs> Pete, Pete and Schmitty and Bull and, and Boa running his mouth. I mean, those are, you know, I, I didn't fun. look at it. I didn't look at it till years later and, and appreciate yeah. what my, what my childhood was. Some of my fond, fondest memories, you know, I got to play in the big leagues a long time, but some of my, my greatest memories are when I was a kid running around with you guys uh, watching you guys play in that 80 and just getting to the 80 world series, that Astros series yeah. uh, was unbelievable. And, yeah, and the series was unbelievable. That was a great one. Right? And I remember being in the clubhouse when you guys won in 1980. And I remember Dickie Knowles with kegs of beer and, and opening it with a, with, it seemed like a jackhammer. And the next day you had the parade and I slept over at Pete's house. And, he, and I, I still have pictures of me sitting on that, that float. Uh, going yeah. down Broadway in Philly and thinking, well, this is what every 10-year-old kid does, isn't it? This is kind of <laughs> normal. Uh, but what what a great year. Talk about 1980 and and it all, you know, those Phillies years. You had a couple tough ones team-wise when you first came over from St. Louis. But it all kind of culminates and, and comes to a head in 80 and you win the whole thing. And by the way, 1980 and, and being a – being an athlete in Philadelphia, kind of the heyday when when the Flyers were great, the Eagles were great, the Sixers were great, and and you win the World Series. Well, all all, all four teams 
were in the postseason play that year. That's what's amazing about 80 in, in Philadelphia. But we're the only ones that, that pulled it off, you know. So it's just, you know, I mean, it was a great for the fans. It was a great uh, sports year for the fans. With every, everything was just knocking them, knocking them out, you know. It was so good. Berge and Clark and who was, who was the uh, for the hockey team? <laughs> Uh, it was Bernie to... Bernie Perrant was I, I think Bernie yeah. Perrant, yeah Clark. Yeah, nobody stays. Yeah, Clark and who was the, who was the police guy for them? Schultze. Schultze was a police. Schultz, guy. yeah, the, the, Schultz, yeah, yeah, he was yeah. the enforcer. The enforcer. Yeah, and I think Doc Doc was with the Sixers. You know, then nobody saves more than Perrant. That was that was a good slogan they had going with the, with the Flyers, and it's good. Yeah, and then uh, was, was Jones with. Jones yeah, Jaws was the quarterback, and then you had Harold Carmichael, Wilbert Montgomery. Yeah, geez. Herman Edwards in the in the defensive backfield. Yeah, yeah, Herman. Okay, there you go. It was it was that's quite a year. So anyway, setting that up, I, don't know, I forgot where I was going to go with this thing. Um, forgot where I was going to go. Well, uh, what did I set you up with? 80, the parade, the the yeah, characters no, on that team. Um, I don't know. Oh, no. want to talk. <laughs> what, what, it, what it seemed like uh, that we weren't we – were, we were sluggish until about the last month. I recall we had a little bit of a, a dry spell there as far as the team. And then we didn't get hot until we – it was important that you get hot, right – Maybe the I don't know, last two weeks, maybe three weeks. I forget exactly the numbers, but when we got hot, then you know, we beat we beat Ryan after the seventh inning, and he's never lost a game after the sixth or seventh inning, whatever it was. And it was just amazing how that happened. So you know, and that really set the momentum to go into the uh, to the series. It was just amazing how that happened. So, but um, we, we I was called we were a little sluggish, and we then we got hot because we didn't play great ball. I know, like probably nobody does. Uh, the whole year, you know. So did we win a hundred games that year? I don't, I don't really know the stats. Probably close. I don't know. I don't know. I just yeah. know you went twenty-four and nine. Yeah, but uh, I don't remember a lot of the details because I'm just doing what they're paying me to do. You know, I'm not really paying attention, focused. You know. So, so anyway, I and I. Somebody, you know, I think my son told me I, I pitched uh, 300 innings that year in '80, and uh, that was I'm the last one to pitch 300 innings. My uh, Scotty, my son, told me, and I didn't know that, but that's that, that was amazing. And now, now, because I come out of the like what the seventh inning against Kansas City in the sixth, and Tug comes in and loads up the bases, you know, made it made it dicey. But you know, well, you know, Dallas took me out because he thought I was tired. I said, Dallas, I'm not tired. You know, well, you know, he's looking at the innings I pitch and everything. But I just got a couple runners on. But that's Tug's job to come in and do that. You know, you want. That. But he loaded the base up. I got a little tense. <laughs> I couldn't and watch you, it. You know. And you so say anyway, you did pitch. You did pitch 300 innings that year. I made, I made 300. Is that right? Scotty said that. You made three. Yeah. You made 300. But you talked about that 72. You know that unbelievable 72 season you had. You pitched 346 innings in 72. 
Did so I this was like, this was just like a warm up for you, the 304. <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? But, you the, know, oh, especially we nowadays, <laughs> especially nowadays. Unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. I mean, compared to what you see today, you get 200 innings today. That's a big deal. You're, you're, you're yeah. tossing 346, like no big deal. See you next year. Yeah, well, that's kind of back then. That's what they paid you to do, you know. I, I didn't want to come out of the game, you know. So, but that's that's game set up different now. So you're not gonna you're not gonna see a lot of innings like that. So, but I mean, you know, these guys today are better athletes. They're bigger, stronger, better, and they could train to do that. But the game's not set up to allow them to do that because they got you know two or three hot arms coming out of the bullpen. So. The go-to for a manager, you know, is, is, you know, let's get a fresh arm in there. And another thing they think is, like, we don't want the hitters to see you on the third time around. You know, you've heard that argument, right? Sure. That's, but the thing is, they only tell that from one side, the, hit, the hitter side. But for me as a pitcher, I've seen you three times, too. You know what I mean? Well, I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. It's one of those things. Well, they only tell one side of the story. Because you can pitch. You're not going to be throwing the ball down the middle. You know, you might lose a, a, a mile an hour on your fastball, whatever, but you're not going to be throwing the ball down the middle. Look, look at look at uh, Greg Maddox. Those 98, 99, maybe 90. But he, he never throws the ball in the heart of the plate. Corner, 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 all day long. You know, he's just unrelenting and that's the way you're supposed to pitch but today they're just throwing 100 miles an hour down the middle and hitters can turn that around you know you've seen that you know you can turn that stuff around if it's platy and then that's the idea well, of pitching is not play, being platy yeah and, and you mentioned maddox probably probably start to finish you know there's i, I face so many great pitchers but maddox probably technically probably the best pitcher i ever faced just just yeah, every Solid. start, the, the consistency of every start was unbelievable. And, he, you know, you most watch, normal, yeah. most guys, when they're off a little bit, they're missing by a foot. You know, Maddox in his yeah. off days, I could tell when he was a little off, but he was missing six inches instead of two inches. He, he was technically, yeah. it, it was like, it was like he was a dart thrower. And some yeah. days, you know, he was missing the bull. He, he was hitting the right upper quarter of the bullseye instead of directly in the middle of the bullseye. He was amazing. And when you talk about uh, pitching today, you know, back in your day, you were expected, especially being a number the ace of the staff, you're expected to go out there and have the, the mindset of, I'm going nine. Now, the game yeah. has changed. They put a lot of uh, – They've put a lot of money into building power bullpens. So so the yeah. psyche is definitely different in today's game. I still think the great ones, you know, and in my day, it was you talk about three times through the order. A typical for me in the early 2000s, the team meeting, the hitters meeting before the series is let's let's get into their bullpen. It was always that way. Now. If if you choose the wrong bullpen, you might not want to get into that bullpen because they got five guys yeah. throwing a hundred. But but it's yeah. changed. The strategy's changed. Where they put some of their money now is in the bullpen. But I still think even today, the great ones, maybe they're not allowed to go nine because they've got twenty million dollars sitting at the end of the end of the game, and that's what they pay them to do. But I still yeah. think the great ones have the mindset. 
of when I take the ball, I'm going nine innings. And they might only go seven. They might only go eight. But I still think they have that mindset. And then I think what the bullpen's built is for the rest of the staff that just give me five. Just give me five and we'll give it to the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, you know, they carry an extra pitcher or two because we used to carry like, I think, nine pitchers. Now they carry 11 and 12 sometimes. Oh, at least. You know? No, they're carrying 13 on some teams. 13, 13 14. Yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. Got- now it's a 26-man roster. Yeah, because they – you know, they, they go to them early and they, you know, they might have two pitchers pitching one inning in the middle of the game, you know, so you're going to burn your bullpen up pretty quick, you know, and what I, so I don't watch it cause I don't have television. So go figure, huh? But uh, yeah, oh, you're, you're back, you're, you're back they, to rural Miami. <laughs> you're real rural now. <laughs> uh, you have choices in life. Remember that. Yeah. But you see these guys, to me, they're, they're guys throwing pitches, but they're guys not pitching. Does that make any sense to you? It makes a ton they're of sense. Pitches, yeah. They're throwing pitches. They're throwing, hundred miles an hour down the middle, but they're not pitching. They're not right. pitching. There's a the lot corner. more. There's a mo- on the corners. Off, you know. There's a lot more physicality in the game now. The the modern day athlete. Uh, you walk yeah. into the Yankees locker room. It looks like it looks like an NFL team. Uh, the yeah. velocity is up. The the power yep. is right. bigger. But yep. it does it doesn't necessarily means there's greater hitters. It just means the physicality. I, I, I look at it from a defensive standpoint because playing second base, I was always very critical of other second basemen and how they moved and other shortstops and how they moved. Uh, the physicality of the defenders today, it, it's truly yeah. amazing. These kids, I, I yeah. mean, they're just gifted. Doesn't mean you're a better baseball player. You know, just like you said, a lot of guys are throwing, they're not pitching. The physicality is up. The stuff is better. It's more electric, but to be a great pitcher, you got to still do the same things. And that's locate. There's still nothing better. You mentioned Maddox. I think he's the epitome of it. There's nothing better than a well-located fastball. Yeah. Well, he had four different pitches that are uh, well-located, you know, and you talk about you and uh, and McCarver having one plan, and then another plan for a different situation in the game. Um, Maddox yeah, pretty was, much. He Maddox was the king of that. I mean, he could go up there, yeah. and and I knew if it wasn't a situation in the game, if there wasn't a runner in scoring position, ten out of ten times he's starting me off with a two seamer away. He's going to start it off the plate and bring it back now. You have that runner. Yeah. You have that runner on third, less than two outs. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at me. Something I'm not expecting. So, but but <laughs> you know, I learned that after a while. It's okay. I, I've got to be ready for this. Who knows what's coming right now? Yeah, well, that's that's called pitching. That's called you know, pitching. The, the, You're right. The, the, well, the hitters, the hitters are looking at us, but like I told the other other side of the equation is, oh, we're looking at you too. Sorry, you know. If you can make a pitch, a pitch that people don't hit, then that's called pitching, and that's what's why you can pay nine innings because you're not giving in to the hitter at you know at 100 miles an hour down the middle because they can swing at 110 or whatever you want. So that that's that's just called pitching. That's all. But Timmy, Timmy, just like Maddox and his catcher, um, and Timmy and myself. Booney, your dad, we got we got to do the same thing. You know, Timmy wasn't there the whole time. You know, Booney's there at eighty. So yeah, but that's we're learning to to sync out together. We're thinking like, so 
So I used to tell Boone, he said, you're a Stanford graduate, and I just used to hunt in the Everglades. Sorry about that. <laughs> so we're not communicating, you know what I mean? And, right. uh, I, I tell him that till the day. I told him that when I saw him this last reunion, you know, so. You there? So 82, yeah, 82. You win your fourth Cy Young Award. And then uh, I, I think that Phillies team, that great Phillies team of 80, you know, people are st- starting to break up. I know dad went to the to the uh, Angels and, and, and a lot of, yeah. P- you know, I think Pete ended up leaving. Schmitty was getting to the end of his career. And in 1985, uh, you end up leaving the Phillies. Now, you've it's been 86. with the Phillies. Was it 86 or 85? 86, so. Okay, you end up. Yeah, yeah, and you the, end up. Where are the fact checkers? Where are the fact checkers? <laughs> where are the fact checkers? I want to know. I want to see this. Now, anyway, in '85, and it's not that you're leaving the field. It's you've been there since '72. I mean, that's 14 yeah. years of your life, and all of a sudden you're headed to San Francisco. Emotionally, how was that for you? It was horrible. You know, I didn't want to. And I, you know, back then there was there was another part of this equation that was the collusion years. You know, for being a free agent, instead of somebody coming to, wanting to sign me, you know, we had to we had to call around. You know, yada yada that kind of stuff. Collusion years they were, and they they lost that case. The owners lost that case in collusion, cost them a lot of money. But for two hundred eighty million, years, how much was it? Two hundred eighty million. I just had Donald okay. Fear on uh, last week, and he he had all the okay. numbers for me. He did his homework. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had to. Yeah, but it was it wasn't. I, as I recall, it wasn't easy. It wasn't any fun, but it wasn't easy hooking on with the with the. No, nobody kind of wanted me, and you know, that's a bad feeling. You know, like I'm still throwing ninety, ninety two. Actually, actually, when I when the I'm best singing now. I was still in '92, and the Twins got rid of me in '88, and I'm still throwing hard. And um, you know, when you're throwing hard, you can compete. You don't want to quit. You know, because every time I go out there, I break them on the record for a lot of, in a lot of categories. That's the fun of, you know, you have to pitch a, a lot of years to get to where you can break some records. And once you get there, you know, you know, it's fun. It's for that reason alone, you know. And uh, and then you know, it's, it was tough anyway. I go, I go to the I go to the Giants and go, you know, I'm not happy about any of that, but I, you know, that kind of stuff. No, I wasn't, to answer your question, no, it wasn't, wasn't exciting, but I, I got to play again. 4,000 punch outs, August 5th, ex-teammate of mine, Eric Davis. That was Davis. And I think, and I think you retired, or or I I think you walked away from the game that week, but you end up signing with the White Sox. Did he? Was he ashamed that he missed? <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And then, no, then, uh, then they had a left-hander they wanted to bring up, and they let me go. And then um, uh, Fergosi uh, signed me. So they come over and play for us, you know. So and, and it and the White Sox are they're drawing about fifteen people a game. Oh, fuck! It's tough. That was a toughie. You know, they went. They did. They didn't draw. There was. There was a picture. I'm killing. I pitched the first game of a doubleheader, coming in the weather. You know, five o'clock, whatever time to start. Thing. 
and you can count on one hand the, the fans are in the stadium. And that's where the stadium, the old stadium, was falling apart. You know, the walls are falling down in the bathrooms, and you know, things are getting a little crazy. So, yeah. Ain't we having fun yet? <laughs> that's right. 87, yeah. Cleveland and Minnesota. You, you have stints yeah. in both leagues or in, on, in both organizations. But I want to hear yeah. about the White House story. In 1987, you go to the White House, and there's a yeah. picture taken. And they mistake you, oh, yeah. Steve, Carl, Steve Carlton, over 4,000 punch-outs, four Cy Young Awards, and you're mistaken for, <laughs> I think you were, uh, what was it? Uh, I don't, I, I don't, guy. I don't, Something like they, that. you were a security guy or you were the, yeah, you're, you're protecting the president. But I had gla- those glasses on like those, avi- I, and they weren't aviator, but they looked like aviators. You were secret service. Yeah. Yeah. They, that's Yeah. I might've said that. That was, that's even better than me being there. That, that was more fun, more laughs about that. But uh, yeah, that's always fun when you go to, I don't know about today, people seem to shun that, but yeah, that's always fun going to the White House. So, yeah. You spent your whole, the White House, you know. You spent the majority of your career in the National League, but in the end, uh, as you were winding down, you got a little uh, taste of the American League. That's back before interleague play. What was it like for you spending all those years in the National League and then finally at the end, you know, getting to go pitch at Yankee Stadium? Uh, Was there anything to that? Did you care about stuff like that? I was going, shame on me for being here, you know. But I said, you know, I I pitch well at Cleveland. But they didn't have a, you know, no bullpen. You'd come out before you sit down. The game would be tied, home run kind of thing, you know, a bad feeling. But I sat on the bench one time. I said, boys – this is not baseball. I mean, and I was, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's kind of thing. You know, still a pitch. You got to get up for the game, as they say, you know. And and uh, yeah, it's just you know, I, I, I still don't like the, the DH and the thinking about doing it in the National League. If, if I'm, is that what I'm hearing? I th- I think you're going to see it across the board. I think they're getting to a point where. They're thinking it's 2021. We're going to make it universal. I think from a union standpoint, the union's going to really back it because that means another hitter, uh, another job. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've gone back and forth with it for a while, but the positive side is you're never going to miss an Edgar Martinez. You're never going to miss the second half of a Frank Thomas career, Paulie Molitor, uh, Big Poppy Ortiz yeah. with with Boston. Uh, and you're going to see more offense. I, I also understand the purist side too is really liking that National League game and and what it stands for and and the well, button and and the and the double switches. You know there is a strategy to that. But I think in the modern game, uh, you know, home runs are, are put people in the seats. Yeah, that's true. But you know, coming from the National League all those years, you know, that was that was way back when that was taboo because we played. I think the all. The All Star Game. When I was there, we were nineteen and one against the American League, and now it's reverse that. Now the American League is, what, I mean, way above the National League at the All Star Game. So, but that that was you know whatever pride you know because we had, you know, we had a lot of we were deep in pitching in the National League back then. So I don't, uh, but 
No, I just say, you know, coming come from the National League, as I say, it wasn't fun because you just sit there and go like, okay, I got to go pitch again. You know, you're not in the game, and to speak of, you know. So I'd, I'd like to get up a hit and bunt and do, do whatever I can, you know. It's part of the game to me. You know, 60, you 69 times in your uh, – no, during your career, sixty time, 69 times in a row you went at least six innings. And, and we just discussed on discussed about the bullpens of today and how you used to go nine. Could you imagine yeah. a modern-day player telling them, yeah, I, I pitched at least six, 69 straight starts? That's unheard of. It'll never happen again. Well, you know, like what we talked about, the game's not set up to do that. You know, they don't, you know, with this, when they, people or whatever got this thing started. What do you, what's, what's the name for that baseball they play? So there's a name for it anyway. I don't, I don't recall. But the, the game's just set up different. They don't care about, uh, they don't care about wins and losses for pitchers. They don't care about a lot of things that are interesting stats that you'll probably never see again because it's just not set up to do that, you know. So they're, they're just running guys out there and doing what they do and hitting home runs and, you know, trying to win win the game, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, like like uh, I watched I, I watched the Phillies. I get I got YouTube on my computer until it crashed, but that's another story. But uh, um, Nola Nola goes out there, he's punching out ten. They take him out. He's winning three to three to nothing or whatever. They they take him out for a bullpen, and they and they end up losing. The other night they lost four to three. He was winning three to nothing. Strike out ten. Under strike out eleven, and then they got Wheeler's got a good arm with the Phillies. And I follow the Phillies a little bit. He's got a real. I really like his style. He's got a good arm, and he he punches out ten or eleven. He comes out and they lose. I said, you know, don't you have to have a talk with the manager? I said, can you let me pitch a little bit more. You know, I'd like to win the game. Some some effort there. So that's the way I see it. I don't know if that's true or not, but. Uh, you know, they let these guys that are punching out 10, they're in control of the game. You know, I, I think. You can, you can pitch nine innings. You're good athletes. Well, I think it gets caught up in, in the analytics of the, in the analytics of the game, and I think uh, yeah. some organizations are, are more stringent with the rules. Some some keep that, you know, keep that leash. Some managers, some organizations give their pitchers a little more leash where, yeah, we only want them going 110, but if it's a special night and he's got it and it, it's the difference of us winning or losing the game, I'll let him go 125. I'll let him go 130. I think that's a, that's a call and that's an organizational call that I think uh, yeah. the bottom line is what? We came up and we played, even though you and myself, we played in different generations but I think we had the same mindset is we win the game first and we worry about everything else. Second, obviously not put anybody in, in a position to where they could truly be injured. But if it means I got to throw whatever more pitches or, or this guy's got to play his 50th game in a row. And it's the difference of us winning and losing. You do what you do to win the game. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you were around baseball all those years young and you watch, how it was played back then. So that, that sinks in a little bit into your psyche about, you know, the way the game was played back then, which doesn't exist today. But, but I mean, I, I surrender the fact that the game is played differently, but, uh, you know, but you know, these guys, these two pitchers I just mentioned, they're, they're in control of the game. They're striking 10 to 11 guys out. 
you know, when I, when we got tired as a young, as a young pitcher, you know, you're still pitching and you're tired, but you, that's when you learn how to pitch. When you're tired, you better be a little more, more accurate as far as your pitching skills, not throwing the ball down the middle of the plate kind of thing. So, you know, you're going to lose that one. But you've learned to, to me, you learn to pitch when you're tired. And these guys, to me, they look like they never get tired. They just cash, you know. And um, well, they, that's why I saw the last two games I saw with the Phillies that they, they did that. The guy punched down 11, and I think he might have punched down 10 or 11. And they came out, and then they lost. I said, really? Come on. You know, they're playing right at 500 ball, you know. They've got a pretty good staff, you know. You know, I don't know about their bullpen, but their starting pitches are are good, good enough to, you know. I mean, you know the deal. Fill in the blank. Yeah, I, I just don't <laughs> think that that NL East this year. I, I, whoever emerges, whether it's Atlanta, Philly, um, the Mets, it's. I, I don't think they have enough in that division to really go far in the postseason. That's just me looking at it on on paper. Obviously, you get to the postseason, anything can happen. But I look at that team. I'm with you. I don't think they have enough bullpen. I think they've got some starting pitching. I think Nola is a real talent. Wheeler's having a big time year, but Nola hasn't had the year that he had a year ago or two years ago. Uh, I, I think a perfect storm. Anything, anything can happen. But he's still, you know, striking out 10. He, you know, he's striking eight in a row, and one time he struck out 10 in a row. He's making good pitches. So unless he's tired and throwing the ball down the heart of the plate or hanging a breaking ball, which you can rec- you can correct that, let's say. You know, he can go forward and and still pitch. He just has – if he's tired, he learned how to pitch better when you're tired. And that's, that's my that's my arg- kind of argument here. That's my saying. Because I, I went through that like others that – pitch way back when when you you pitch more innings and you just learn to pitch when you're tired but uh, but i mean you know everybody's making a gazillion dollars or whatever they're making it you know what i mean back then it was about you know making making a salary you know you make not making a lot of money because you know way back when 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 i started you had to play 20 years to be fully fully vested in your pension fund 20 years you had to play yeah, no, so as, as, a, as a young pitcher, I said I set my sights long. I said, "Well, I got I'm going to do that if I'm going to have any money when I get out of this game." It wasn't really a game. I said, "I better learn to pitch 20 years," you know. And then about the time I got to 20 years, they changed it to just pro rata, whatever. If the other day you get paid for a day, you know. So yeah, yeah. but that's, that's that's good for everybody. I mean, it changed for the better. But we set our sights long early uh, in my career. The name Lefty, it sounds, you know, sounds obvious why you'd be named that. Who gave it to you? How, where'd it come from? Actually, I've had that name. I was a pool boy. I was from North Miami, so I was a pool boy in the summer, in the summertime. Actually, in Florida, it doesn't matter if it's, it's a year. It could be year-round. But I was a pool boy. Summertime, when you're not going to school, to make, you make a little bit of jing. And uh, my uh, the pool manager, uh, Kenny was his first name. I can't remember his last name. I'll give it a think. He gave me the name because it was mostly left field, let's say, because I do a lot of things right. But he gave me, because he, he was a minor league player himself, and he gave me the name Lefty. And it stuck since they're like maybe, what, 16, 15, 16. So it stuck, you know, stigmatized. It's, pain, it's painful carrying that moniker around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think. So there you go. That's the story. 
Philadelphia Phillies Wall of Fame. That's an obvious for you. Number retired. Uh, that's pretty cool. Not too many people get their number retired, but the big one is 2004. You get a statue outside of Citizens Bank Park. Buddy of mine just got a statue unveiled, Edgar Martinez in Seattle. And, a, yeah. and I wrote to him, yeah. I said, not too many men get a statue, kid. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, it's kind of it, other, other, other than the obvious, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, you know, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Getting a statue, uh, that's got to be pretty cool. What's that like for someone that's never going to have a statue? But I, I had to hire two guards to protect it so they didn't tear it down, if that makes any sense. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? not, not to get, you know what I mean? Don't forget about that. Oh, no, I think it's great. I mean, like you said, not, not, many, not too many people get a statue of themselves. So that's, that's quite an honor, yeah. It did a good job, too. I, I like, actually, I like that most people don't like the statue that made a, that was a reasonable facsimile. But, yeah, they did. I thought they did a good job, yeah. Take a go out there year at the reunion, take a picture, you know. 1994, um, you get voted into the Hall of Fame. Now, with looking back at your career, uh, you know, you were pretty much, to everybody, to your peers, pretty much an obvious pick that you were going to get in. Did it ever cross your mind, the, the relationship you had with the writers, uh, just that that 1% of unknowing. You know, I talked to a lot of Hall of Fame guys that when they finally got the yeah. call and I say, that's an obvious call for you. They said, it's not obvious till I get that phone call. Uh, what was it like uh, 94 when you got that phone call? Well, you know, I wasn't even, I thought I, I didn't have a chance on the first, uh, first go round because of that. Cause I wasn't sure how they felt, you know, they, you know, the numbers were good, but th- things were, got a little personal, you know, it was a long time. That I I didn't talk to them, so I wasn't sure. I wasn't paying attention, but I wasn't sure when I got. I forget the writer at the time. Uh, he called me up and and told me and surprised surprised the hell out of me. I said, "Really? You know, the first go round after all that." So we had a laugh about that. Yeah, but it was. I mean, it was. In a lot of ways, it was like a double, kind of an honor, let's say, because they they had a reason not to do that to me, just to be punitive, you know. But they didn't. They rose above that and. And did that first round, so yeah, I was, I was, you know, I guess I was quite pleased with that. But I was, I was surprised, you know, because uh, I thought maybe not. So, yeah. What do people not understand about Steve Carl? <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't. What would you want them to understand about me? Am I supposed to write a book and a tell-all? Yeah. I don't know. Um, Well, I haven't talked I to you know. in a lot of years. We, we we've had a little interaction, at, in you know, as adults when when I we were doing a function in New York, we rode to the airport together, and I got to talk to you. Find out as an adult how interesting you were, how you like, how you thought about the game. I find it fascinating. But you didn't talk to the media yeah. for a long time. You got a lot of fans out there. It's like, wow, Steve Carlton. He didn't talk to the media. We really don't know who he is. Yeah, I'll give you that. That's true. But uh, and what they probably don't know about me is I'm more of a, uh, a, <coughs> a spiritual kind of guy. I'm interested in, in those those types of things categorically, you know. And I've, I've studied that stuff most most of my life, I would say. You know, so that's just probably what they don't know. 
that doesn't really come to the surface because that's a personal uh, sort of position, you know. So whatever whatever that means, I don't know what that means. But they I say what they don't know about me is I probably they know that I'm I've, I've chased that idea for a long time. Let's say. How do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? <laughs> I don't know. You, you give it. You give it your all. You know. I, I stopped. One of the reasons I stopped talking to the media, as I said some time ago, is because it, it's about the game and the fans. It's not about you guys. You're 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 last in line in this equation. That's what I told. That's what I told the writers when I stopped talking to them. So. And it was about the fans. I mean, these guys played a whole year without any fans in the stand. It looked like a whole lot of fun to me. You know, they do a cardboard cutout of me and me in a the seat on the first baseline and send me a picture of it. It can't be any fun without the fans. You know, that's such an integral part of the game. You know, it just it's just it's just a good part of the game. And I, that's the way I see it because I've seen it the other way and it, it was disinteresting. Uh, game or whatever you want to call it. It was a session game. So, you know, the fans are an integral part. Steve Carlton, I really appreciate you coming on the Boone podcast. It's been an honor. Uh, great catching up with you. I know Dad was interested. He said Lefty's going to do it. I said Lefty's going to do it. So I, I really. Th- Thank you a lot for doing it. And what we do here each and every Boone podcast is we go to Dan Levy, the voice of the podcast, and he has a question from the fans. Dan. Gentlemen. Before you you go, wait a minute. It's your mom that got me to do this, by the way. Oh, I know. I know. I give her full credit. I said, Steve doesn't do – he doesn't do interviews, but when I I saw the picture – I'll set this up for for the audience. I got a picture from my mom, and it was – the Phillies reunion, 1980 reunion. And it was really yeah. a cool picture. And and I see Steve at the end of the uh, end of the bar. It was bull and it was Larry Bow and Manny trio. He was getting uh, honored on the wall of fame. And it was my dad, of course. And I said to my mom, she goes, Freddie, that was a great picture. Wasn't it? And I said, yeah, those are all my favorites as a kid. And I said, go tell lefty <laughs> that I need to have him on the show. And it, it, and it took her two days. And she said, Brett, yeah. he said, he's going to, he said, he's going to do it. And I said, awesome. And here we are. And I tried, I, I tried to make her sweat. I, I held her off. And I was just kind of laughing at her because she was so entrenched in this. You're going to do it, you know, and we, of course we had a little fun with that, but it was John that sort of broke it down because Mooney did have what he wanted. Your dad wanted nothing to do with this, as a matter of fact. So, but if the, thanks to your mom, good job, kudos, you know. So, continue on the next question. <laughs> All right, Dan. What you got for me? All right, this one comes from Ray in Jersey, and he wants to know this: Lefty, who is your toughest out? Oh boy, you know my pet answer is none. None of it's them. An it's an attitude. You can't. You can't think a tough out going again out because you're already lost the battle. So you can't. In your mind, it's just you're back to zero. You know, and you're just playing another, another, just another batter. But if you think you've lost before you go in, you've lost. That's, that's Sun Tzu, right? Art of War. That that sounds about right to me. That sounds awesome. My pet, my pet answer is none of it, but uh, who hit me? It was a bench. Bench hit me well. 
to answer the question. Do I have to answer the question, by the way? Is there is an absolute... In fact, not only do you not need to answer the question, but you gave us just enough to make it a good night. <laughs> that was fun, guys. Mailbag. Okay, Booner, you know that sound. It is time for... Mailbag. Mailbag. <laughs> All right, Booner, this one comes from Jed in Miami, and he wants to know this. Brett, do you ever bring friends with you to the ballpark when you were a kid? No. Uh, not true. Early to the ballpark? No, I used to, when I was a little kid, uh, my whole life revolved around going to the ballpark early with my dad. Now, if he wouldn't let me go, uh, I'd come into the ballpark with my mom, and that was like the worst because now I had to go right to my seats. I couldn't go hang with the players and run around and, you know, under the under the stadium. So when I went in early with my dad, never. I couldn't bring a friend. That was just for me. Uh, but, yeah, coming to the games at night, uh, you know, with my mom, uh, yeah, I could bring friends. As a follow-up to that and something I want to know, at what point did your friends start to know who your dad was and who you were? My friends, oh, it was from get-go, from the get-go. And, and still, I have a couple childhood friends that are still good friends of mine today. You know, my friends were cool because it's it was such not a thing. You know, they tease me about it. It was almost like a detriment, especially when the Phillies weren't playing good. They're like, you guys suck. Your dad sucks anyway. And they, and they treated me <laughs> like it was no big deal. So so I was like just a normal kid. Nobody. It seemed like all my buddies that I ran with, they didn't care who my dad was. Now, maybe I was naive and, and you know, didn't pay attention, but uh, I never thought it was an issue. You know, it's I, I wasn't that kid that had 20 kids over just because my dad played for the Phillies and they wanted to see the house. It seemed like I had my core group of friends that we ran with. They knew my dad. You know, they were buddies with my dad, too. He knew all their names, but but it wasn't a big deal and they never made it a, a big deal. So I thought my friends were really cool. All right. And this one comes from Judy in Utah, in Utica, Utica. Brett, what is going on with the Yankees? They are on fire. They're unbelievable. They win tonight. Not even sure, but uh, one as they they had the best record in baseball for for this month. I think they won their ninth in a row. They're playing tonight. I don't know if they won again, but um, man, what a comeback! And and that's a it's a pretty formidable lineup they're putting out there right now. A lot of power. A lot of. Uh, a lot of right, left, right, left. And they haven't had that all year. They've been left, you know, they've been depleted of left-handed bats. All of a sudden at the at the trading deadline, you go out and you get a Gallo, you get a Rizzo. Uh, they're really playing well. And and they, they're not even doing it, um, you know, what's the term? They're not at full capacity yet. I mean, Kluber, who's their number two starter, he was fitting in really nice behind Cole early in the year, starting to pitch like the old Kluber. Uh, he went down. Severino was supposed to come back recently. He's had another setback. You know, they've they've missed a lot of time with the COVID, and a lot of guys have, have missed a lot of games, and they're still winning games. Uh, something special going on with the Yankees right now. Uh, I think that pitching is going to have to come back, and, the, and they're going to have a, have to have a few things working work in their favor to really go far into the postseason and have a chance of getting to that series. Uh, but looking back a month ago where they were, and now 
night and day. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for my brother. Thanks for all who listened in. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Boom Podcast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content all gets handled by Liz Landry. Please share the Boom Podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boom Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boom Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.